What is up guys and welcome to the Meeple Minded Podcast, the podcast where we talk all things tabletop gaming. My name is Jason. And I'm James. How are you doing this week, James? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Yeah, still damn hot here in the UK, isn't it? Yeah, it's very humid today. Yes, so that, that rain was lovely, but the heat staying around didn't really help at all, did it? <laughs> you got rain? Well, yeah, I mean, that's one of the benefits of working in a totally different area. Yes, it uh, absolutely tipped it down in London today. Oh, I would have... For about five minutes. I I would have killed for some rain. I think I got like three spots on my windscreen. (laughs) No, no, please, it will cool things down. Yeah, it it really didn't. It made it worse. It was like going into the Amazon, you know, (laughs) boiling hot heat with all that lovely humidity to go along with it. Yeah, it was not enjoyable at all. Luckily, I'm back in the air-conditioned van, though, so I'm a happy, happy man. <laughs> so, uh, been up to much this week, James? Played any decent games? Yeah, we played a bit of Wingspan, didn't we? We did indeed, yes. We had a, a newbie join us for a game of Wingspan last night. In mm. fact, uh, that was good fun. We played yet another game of Gangstrong Clever. Yep. I believe that's probably, I don't know, four or five times in the last two weeks that yep. we've been playing that. It's becoming a little bit addictive. It is. It's like, yeah. once, once you've got a good score, it's like, right, now I need to beat it. <laughs> I wasn't particularly happy yesterday, though, because I wasn't able to beat my amazing score that I had last time. So that was not an ex- acceptable game. We need to play another one. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we are uh, We're doing another game highlight. A game episode. highlight. Yes, and much like the last game highlight that we did, this one is animal-themed. Hmm. Seems to be a bit of a running theme at the moment. We've recently done Zuli. We've done the big box bad boy that is Ark Nova. Yep. And now we're talking about Savannah Park. Yes, but this, well, last year really was the, the year for zoo games, wasn't it? It, it really was, yeah. I think, and you animal know. Animal-based games. I mean, even just the ones that I got, you know, like we said, we, we got, had Zuli, we had Savannah Park came out last year. Ark Nova came out last year. I had um, Zoography. Yep. turned up last year i think we played a lot of new york zoo last year yep and that's only naming the ones that i've played you know i know that there was a couple more on kickstarter that i didn't back and i kind of wish i had because they look really good but it was kind of one of them things of i've got so many animal themed games now it's like i needed to trail it off just a little bit yeah but the real question is obviously savannah park where where do we think it's gonna sit with regards to those other games, you know, we we gave rave reviews to to Ark Nova. We gave really good reviews to Zuli, and I think we gave pretty good reviews to Zoography as well. Yeah. So, do we think this one's going to match up to those? We'll find out, won't we? We will indeed. Are you ready to dive in? Let's dive in. Let's do it. Okie dokie. So, Savannah Park. Savannah Park is a pattern building tile placement set collection game. That has quite a few publishers around the world, but in the UK, it is published by Bright Eye Games. The game is for one to four players aged eight and up and has a playtime of 20 to 40 minutes. And at the time of the recording has an RRP value of £30. In Savannah Park, players are tasked with creating herds of animals within your own wildlife reserve. But be careful... In the intensely dry land, some of the foliage has caught fire and animals left next to those burning trees at the end of the game will escape the protection your reserve provides. You must create the largest herds possible with as many watering holes 
within those herds to gain maximum points at the end of the game. Players take it in turns to select a single tile and all players must move that tile to a new location while flipping it over to signify that it has been moved and that it will not be moved again for the remainder of the game. That's a very, very quick rundown of the game, but let's find out what comes in the box when you buy Savannah Park. Okay, Jason, in the box you get four folding boxes, four park tiles, a bunch of tokens, 33 animal tokens, six tree tokens, and three bushfire tokens per player, a scoreboard, four meerkat meeples, one for each player, four ranger meeples, one for each player, and four lions for a form of varied gameplay. Very, very nice. So it's not a super long list of uh, of components, but there's a fair bit in there considering this is a an RRP game of £30. It's one of the cheapest games that I think I've found on the market. So let's talk about the component quality, James. Taking into account that value of the game, how do you find the components? Um, they're all pretty standard. You know, the, the meeples were of good quality you know i didn't notice any anything wrong with them on your copy um the boards uh a punch board serviceable yeah i mean i will say that yeah the components in it they're they're all pretty standard and like you said very surface serviceable punch boards are three to four millimeters thick i've not noticed any warping despite the fact that this game has been played a lot since i've got it uh the artwork seems to be sticking true which is nice the, uh, the wooden meeples and the meerkat meeples are, again, very, very nice. They seem nicely cut. None of the paint's chipping off of them or anything like that. So they're, they're all pretty good. Very, very serviceable. Can't say anything bad against them. Mm. I do, however, want to add my big approval to the storage solution that comes in this game. Now, the game box itself is standard board game size 30 by 30. Once you remove... The lid, you are then presented with a, a sort of a nice cardboard insert, which makes a square in the middle. And then the boxes that you were talking about in your components fit so snugly in that little area. And each one of those boxes has all of the player pieces in them, including the tokens. Mm. So game setup takes, what, I don't know, 12 seconds? Yep. You know, it's <laughs> boards out, there's your player pieces, done. It's so quick and I absolutely love it. You know, it's so simple. And yeah, you could argue that the box doesn't need to be quite so big. But when you take into account how big those player boards are, mm. it, it needs to be, you know, because they, they would have made the player boards too small if they'd uh, shrunk the box down. But yeah, how do you feel about it? It's considering you've seen how quick it is to set up. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's, that's a brilliant uh, storage solution, to be honest, considering, like you said, because of the size of the player boards, you know, they're constrained to a standard board game size box even though there's not that much to put in it so putting that filler in to fit the the player boxes Mm. and then basically saying well yeah if you put all the tokens in the boxes it's just here you go yeah here's a board here's your box yeah exactly and just to sort of add the cherry on top of that cake i guess the the player boxes could easily just be colored boxes to to the individual players whereas they've taken the time to actually put a nice bit of artwork Mm. on all of the boxes, which, when you arrange them correctly, create a nice piece of artwork that goes across all the boxes. So that is a really nice touch in my eyes. Mm. But, uh, yeah, let, let's talk about the gameplay because that's that's what we're really here for. Yeah. How was this game for you, James? Confusing. Confusing? Confusing. Really? Why did you find it confusing, James? I was just, you know, trying to wrap your head around the fact that once a piece is moved, it cannot be moved again. So it's like, 
I want to move this, but also going round and because ha- like everyone moves at the same time, don't mm, they? So yeah. it's sort of like someone says, I want to move the two elephants, and you're like, I wasn't ready to move that yet. <laughs> and yeah, you can't, you know, the, the, you've got no spaces near your current herd yep. uh, of elephants. And then, of course, they have to go completely miles away from anything, which is going to ultimately lose yeah. you. Or points. you were setting up to move that one to the perfect yeah. spot and someone moves it before you're ready. It's like... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what I really like about the gameplay, to be honest, because yes, you are ultimately playing a solo solitaire game, you know, w- with moving your own tiles about to try and maximize the, the herd size. However, that player interaction, even if it, to be honest, for the most part is unintentional player yep. interaction. It's like, well, I need to move... Uh, Okay, I need to move the the two ostriches, and I announce, "Oh, I'm I'm going to move the two ostriches," meaning that everyone else has to move the same tile as me. And all you hear from the other side of the table is, "Oh, god damn it, I wasn't ready for that!" And it, the smiles and laughter that yep. come from that, you know, I, I I just really really like it. And it, like I said, for the most part, it is unintentional mm. player interaction. Well, and- yeah, because it's another one of those games where it's like. Uh, I need to do this, and then on my next turn, I need to do this and this and this because you have no idea what any other players are going to do. So you're concentrating on what you need to do. You haven't got time to be thinking about what everyone else is doing. And then suddenly someone announces something, and you're like, oh no, I hadn't even factored that in yet. What? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, how many, from what I remember, how many animals, different types of animals are there in the game? If I'm. I'm from what I remember, you've got giraffe, you've got elephant, you've got rhino, antelope. ostriches, and antelope, I believe. Is it, is it five animals? It might might, pop, might be six. I think there's more than that, but... Zebras there yeah. in it, yeah. Um, so it's six, seven, possibly eight different types of animals here. So potential of that many different herds yep. that you want to try and create. And obviously, maximum points in this game is going to be a herd size of 10, 11 of each of those animals. Yeah. And then having all three watering holes attached in because that's how you score points in this game is you might have a herd of, say, eight elephants. But if there's not a single watering hole in that herd, it scores you no points. Mm. One watering hole times is it by one, two watering holes by two or the maximum of three watering holes times is it by three. From what I remember, the biggest herd is 11. So a single herd of a single animal could potentially score you 33 points yep and then there's the whole burning bush mechanic the burning bush mechanic yes of course and obviously i mentioned that a little bit i guess in the in the open to this now to expand on that just a little bit there are usually three burning bushes on the on the the table one is a single tree another is a double tree and the final one is a triple tree any single animal on their own around the single burning tree at the end of the game, I mean, I class it as dies, but family it, friendly. It runs away. It runs away. The same again for the, the two. If there's any duo of animal around the duo tree, they run away. Triple animal around the triple tree, they run away. How did you find that? It's really annoying when someone puts an animal that you really need there because it's useless to them. So they've just gone, well, I'll sacrifice that animal to that slot because I can't do anything with it. And it's yeah. like... Why would you do that? Yeah. Yeah, because obviously when you do the scoring at the end, the burning bush 
stuff, i.e. the stuff that gets removed, is done before you start scoring points for the herds. Mm -hmm. So even if you've managed to create a nice big herd and think that you're going to get the points for that particular tile, you're not because it gets removed from the table before you score. I like it. I really do like it. There's so much strategic play required Mm. in this game, and it doesn't look like the kind of game that that you would expect to be that strategic, does it? No, not when, not when you've like, like the first time you got it out of the box and was setting up, I was just like, no, this is going to be like a little, yeah, sort of game. I was not expecting it to be that thinking. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a crunchy game. It's really crunchy. Like the, there is an element of mathematics to it, I guess, isn't there really? Because you, you are sort of timesing and, and, you know, you know, by numbers and, and then it's like, well, what are my odds of yeah. being able to move this if yeah, I don't like, do it now? I, it's that sort of, again, you have to pre-plan it because it's like, you know, you're not going to do, like like we've said, there's sort of eight. That's, there may or may not be eight yep. eight different animals in there. So, okay, so I'm not going to get a maximum herd of all eight of them. Yeah. So which ones am I going to target? Mm, yeah. You can try and come up with your own strategy by going, well, I'm going to do all the elephants first, then I'm going to do the gazelles, then I'm going to do this. But I don't don't know if you feel the same way, but it's like, I don't think you can actually make that decision until two or three turns into, you have to let mm. the board develop first. Yeah, you you sort of need to see roughly where everyone's going, because usually, say for example, I'm the first player and I've decided my first tile is going to be a single elephant at a watering hole. Mm it kind of signifies to the other players that I'm probably going to focus on elephants first. So as the second player, do you then think that, oh, well, if he's going to do elephants, I can keep that over here and I'm going to go, I'm going to go gazelles. Yeah. So I'm going to set this up over here. I I think in in our game that we played, I was actually moving the watering holes first. It's like, Mm. well, if I position the watering holes first, then try and get the animals around them. I think the key tile in this though is that one tile that has every single animal on it mm. around a watering hole it's that one that you always want in the center of the board but because of the way the board's laid out you can't have it in the center of the board you know i always try my best to get at least four herds coming off of that off of that hexagon mm. but it's it's so dependent on you know me being able to move a tile enough to stick it in a situational area where I can get four of them. And it's also remembering that all the tiles have to move. So Mm -hmm. it's like, the amount of times I got caught out by going, oh yeah, I'm going to put this here because there's loads of stuff over here. No, none of those animals have moved Of course, yeah, they they (laughs) then move. They're then going to have to move, so they're not (laughs) going to stay there. Yeah. I think in my very first game that I played, I was doing that as a, oh yeah, one elephant. Yeah, no problem. I've got space amongst all these elephants here. And then of course... Oh, we'll do the two. Oh, no, hang on a minute. That's now going to move. Oh, no. And it happened on almost every single herd that I was doing. I was doing terrible. Mm. Uh, You know, because you've got to think. Again, it's another one of those games. You are thinking two, three, four turns ahead. Yeah. And then being completely shut down by our good friend over here who's decided to throw a spanner in my works and going, oh, no, now we're going to choose the, the zebra. Uh, yeah, but the only place I can put it is yeah. right where I need but, this one but to I've, be. I've set up for zebras to be over on the other side of the board. Why <laughs> Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> but no, it is, it's almost like like if you've got a clump of animals at the start and you go, oh, brilliant. It's like, no, no, they're all going to move. So it's like, okay, so the watering hole that corresponds to those animals needs to be somewhere else. Yes. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, like I said, there's so much strategic gameplay for in in this game for me, and I, I do indeed love that. One one thing I will say about the gameplay that I felt kind of redundant, but I see the point was when you when someone says a tile that they're going to move, you remove the tile, and then with your little meerkat meeple, you are meant to put it in the space that you've just taken it from. It's basically there to stop you from putting that tile back in the same space. Mm. I, one, always forget to do it, but I'm also really good at making sure I don't put it back in the same place because, you know, I don't like cheating in games. Yeah. I understand why it's there, but I would say in all of our games, all the people that I've played with have been trustworthy enough that we've not needed that mechanic it's, in there. I wouldn't even necessarily say it's an anti-cheating thing. It's it, There is so much brain power that it would be forgivable for you to pick that piece up and then arm and ar about where you're going to put it and end up putting it back in the same place because you've actually then gone, oh, crap, where was it? Yeah. So in, in your eyes, the actual placing of the meeple is actually it's, a very good yeah, idea. Yeah, I mean, it functions as an anti-cheating mechanic, but it's more an don't forget where you picked it up from mechanic. Yeah. yeah. The game designers for this, it's not something we usually talk about on mm. the show, is the actual game designers. Now, how I got you to play this game, James, was by telling you the two game designers. Mm. One of them being Wolfgang Kramer, making is a, a previous game that I knew you liked was Downforce. Mm-hmm. And then Michael Kiesling, the uh, designer behind the Azul series. And to you, when I first told you that, what, what was your initial reaction when I was like, yeah, it's the two of them working together? Well, this should be good because <laughs> I love the Azul series and I love Downforce. Yeah, it's sort of like your your super super team, isn't it? <laughs> but yes, is there any other thing about the uh, the gameplay that you want to bring up before we move on? Because it's it's a very short game. That's another thing, I guess we could could. Yeah, mention. I mean, it, I I actually found that for a thinky game, it did move mm. pretty quickly. Yeah, and the the downtime between turns while there is an element of analysis paralysis with this game mm. i always I, find that downtime between your turns is i think it's maybe well, a minute i think it's well designed though because the board is very full all the time so mm. it's like your options for moving are limited so yeah each time you move a piece you've only got three to five options of where to put it it's like so that i help i think that helps streamline the turns yes and it helps with that analysis paralysis because you're basically funneled into i've got a choice of five places to put it yeah eeny meeny miny mo yeah pretty much (laughs) (laughs) it's not one that i wanted to move so it is a case of eeny meeny miny mo yeah there (laughs) (laughs) that'll do (laughs) i'll figure something out later it's gonna be fine (laughs) 20 to 40 minutes is what it says on the box would you agree with that in a one to four player game? I mean, we won't count the one player game because we don't usually play games solo. So no. two to four players, James, 20 to 40 minutes. Would you agree with that? I reckon two players could knock this out in 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, four players, 40 minutes. Yeah. I reckon I reckon that's a good a good time. Yeah, uh, I would probably agree with that. Definitely. I, I don't think I've ever taken more than an hour to play this. And that's when everyone was brand new and you were in you know saying the rules as well yeah i would say i can teach this game in about two minutes flat it's really not difficult to to explain this game it's definitely for me in my gateway game category mm-hmm. I, I like it sitting in there and um yeah the artwork on it's nice it plays nice it's nice and quick it's just a really fun game to be honest yeah so family friendly 
definitely. I would play this with children. The eight plus, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yet I love the fact that we have been able to introduce this to some of the most hardcore gamers that play all your big boxes all the time. And they've come into this thinking, oh, it's going to be a kid's game. Mm. And have they've been the worst for analysis paralysis because they're sitting there go, you know, strategizing over what they can do and, oh, how can I screw over the other people as well by, well, I can see James is next. I can see roughly what he's doing or what he's going for. I'm going to screw him over by go right, I'm going to move this now. Yeah. That inevitable, no, don't do that. But yes, gameplay, I think is really, really good. It's good and fun. It's nice and quick. Yeah. I would be very interested. This is another one of those games that I'd be interested to play behind a cover. Mm-hmm. where you can't see the other players' boards. Yeah, just okay. because... We're, we're making that... I think it would make the groans even better because <laughs> it's like, well, I can't see what everyone else is doing, yeah. so all I've got is my board, so I'm going to do this. <sighs> I would definitely like to give that a try. However, I would be incredibly picky about who I would do it with because yes. obviously then you really are in trust territory that someone is not just picking up and putting back down where they want to put it. Yeah. You know, if it was in the location that they really wanted it, rather than just, you know, flipping it over and, and moving it. But yeah, what are your final thoughts on this game, James? Uh, yeah, I I would basically agree with what you said. It's like, it's a good gateway game because it's relatively easy to understand. Yep. Um, the principles of it. it. It's a good, fun little game. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, good. Good. Would you play it again? Yeah. Awesome stuff. So I think final thoughts for me... I'm I'm going to refer back to the other games that we've reviewed on here, the other animal theme games, because let's be honest, Art Nova, we did a couple of weeks ago now. I think I gave it a 9.5. You gave it a 9, which is very, very high praise. Mm. Um, that's definitely the game that everyone wants to play right now um, and well-deserving of that. We've also got Zuli, which I think is a really nice sort of middle ground, I guess, when it comes to the animal games, because you've got that card drafting mechanic. Yep. Fairly good as well. Zoography is another one in my collection. To me, that is more on the easier end of the scale. And it also looks good on the table with all the different animal meeples yep. on it. So where would I put Savannah Parker in that list? And would it does it deserve that place? I think for me, it's going to sit nicely between Zoography and Zuli. Yep. So it's definitely on the easier side of things. Like I said, this is a gateway game for me. There's very little mechanics that people really need to understand in this, so it's easy to teach, very quick and easy to play. doesn't matter who you're playing it with, it works. So yes, it does have a place on that list. Is it a hardcore game? No, it's not. Is it a super, super crunchy game? No, but there's a little bit of crunch to it. Is it going to keep you interested? Yes, it will. It keeps me interested, keeps me smiling. And providing you're playing with a game group that is up for a laugh... This game is fantastic. And at 30 quid RRP or around 20 quid from the discounted retailers, it's one of the cheapest games I think I've found that's full-size board game. I can't fault it, really, at that that price. So the value coming from this game is absolutely fantastic. Meeple rating time, James. Where do you rate 
Savannah Park. I'm going to give Savannah Park a solid seven. Ooh, very, very nice. Yes. Very, very nice. I think for me, like I said, value for money, good, wholesome family fun and strategic player interaction. For the price, I can't fault it. It's not a super heavyweight game. It's not going to be one of my best games of all time. It's never going to be that. But I'm actually joining you at seven out of ten on yeah. this one. It's a, it's a It's above average game yep um it's not one that i'm champing at the bit to play Mm -hmm. but if someone got it out of the box yeah cool yeah definitely it's it's definitely a collection keeper it's got a place on my calax behind me and it's also a game that will have regular vacations from that calax into my game bag and going to game days Mm. it's that kind of game you know it's going to be in the game bag it won't always be played but it'll be in there so yeah i i think high praise there for savannah park uh, Bright Eye Games, they're a UK company. There are our distributor over here. I think it was Deep Print Games that deal with it most other places in the world. Capstone Games is another one, which is interesting because that's the same people that distribute Art Nova. I think there's a bit of a coalition going on there. But yeah, 7 out of 10 from yep. me, 7 out of 10 from you. Really good game. Shall we hand over to the man in the news shed? It's about that time, isn't it? It is indeed about that time. So, Paul, what am I spending money on this week? Well, they don't half gas on those lot, don't they? And I thought you went on. Well, it was good to hear from the guys over at Board Stupid last week, but that really didn't leave much room for the news, though. Well, sorted us, though, really, didn't it, seeing as we had a couple of games show up? Yep, getting into rescuing cats a lot lately, haven't we? I mean, Isle of Cats is pretty good, and we did buy it from Jason. Yeah, but I'm more of a dog person myself, but hey-ho, there was already a place called the Isle of Dogs, so we couldn't really have that, could they? Well, that's true, we got a game named after Istanbul. Okay, and Carcassonne. Yeah, Le Havre. Yeah, Castles of Burgundy, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, I get the picture. They could have a game called Isle of Dogs, couldn't they? I tell you what, you go and make a complete list while I read the news out. Yeah, that should keep you quiet for a bit, shouldn't it? Nothing, nothing, talking about you, not to you. If you would be so kind, could you please push the button? There are many fans of the deck-building dungeon crawl that is Clank, a deck-building adventure, before it took to the stars in its successor, Clank in Space. Throw in a few expansions to the sets and the well-received legacy version in Clank Legacy Acquisitions Incorporated, which brought it back to its fantasy setting. Well, that's going to continue with the newly announced spin-off, Clank Catacombs. Catacombs sees players venturing into an underground crypt in order to relieve it of its various treasures. The main difference between Catacombs and the other games in the deck building series is that Catacombs does not have a set board for players to move their meeples around on. Instead, players will gradually build the dungeon as they explore. The dungeon will evolve as players lay down different tiles as they move through, revealing the various obstacles and potential treasures along the way, and obviously meaning that no two playthroughs may ever be the same. As they explore the underground crypt, players will stumble upon all sorts of strange landmarks and locations, such as portals that can jump them across the map, or way shrines that contain riches for players to plunder. 
However, players will have to be wary of the many dangers that lurk in the shadows of the dungeon, including the angry spirits of the undead that will haunt players' characters to death should they ever be disturbed. And besides the ghosts, players will also have to be wary of Umbrock Vesna, the skeletal dragon that stalks the halls of these new catacombs. The dragon that calls this dungeon her home will be listening out for any adventurous foolhardy enough to make any noise while sneaking through the catacombs passageways. Just like in the previous entries in the fantasy board game series, every clank that players make will increase their chances of being flamed by the angry dragon looking for intruders. Surprisingly, Clank Catacombs can be played as a standalone game or indeed can be joined by any of the expansions released for the original Clank, should players happen to have or wish to purchase any. Paul Denon, the designer behind the original and the space variant of the board game, as well as other deck building games such as Dune Imperium, has returned and designed Catacombs. Sole publishing rights of Catacombs has moved over to Dire Wolf Studios, who recently acquired the rights from its previous publisher Renegade Studios. And from newly announced standalone games, here comes a newly announced expansion to one of our go-to gateway games for new players. Elizabeth Hargraves, along with publisher Stonemaier Games, released the critically acclaimed Wingspan just three short years ago, and went on to win numerous industry awards including 2019's Kennerspiel de Jar. Since the original game's release with Birds from the Americas came expansions for both European and Birds from Oceana, with the latter also introducing a new food resource in the form of nectar. While the new expansion release will see us cross the Malay archipelago into Asia to see what amazing birds we might see there. Wingspan Asia will add a collection of brand new continent specific bird cards for players to acquire and plays onto their boards in order to build their game engine. Stonemaier Games have been teasing the full expansion reveal by unveiling a series of individual cards from Wingspan Asia, with the first being the majestic and valuable Indian Peafowl. Wingspan, for those stuck in a chicken coop, is a board game for 1-5 to five players that sees participants attempting to attract bird life to their various habitats in order to score the most points by the end of the game. On a player's turn they can choose to perform a number of different actions, including attracting birds, acquiring food, or getting your birds to lay eggs. Players will score points throughout the game from birds they have attracted and the eggs that they have laid. Additional points are achieved by competing goals stated in each round bonus, as well as fulfilling any secret goals that you may have. Whichever player has the most points by the end of the game is named the winner. The full reveal of Wingspan Asia is set to take place in Q4 2022, so we're assuming around Eschenspiel this year, with a release date and retail price yet to be confirmed. Stonemaier also confirmed that for every pre-order completed on its website, the studio will donate $1 to a non-for-profit organisation that benefits BirdLife in Asia, including BirdLife International, Animals Asia and Flight Bonus. The recently nominated game and odds-on favourite for Spiel de Jar this year is Randy Flynn's game Cascadia. But not resting on his laurels, he's already upped and announcing his next board game, Tabriz. Tabriz is an upcoming board game that has players becoming carpet merchants operating out of a Persian market. 
In the game, players will weave various types of carpets in order to fulfil commissions from customers, competing with their fellow carpet merchants to acquire the best customers and earn the most money. Players start the game fulfilling commissions from common folk before rising through the ranks to fulfil orders for higher paying customers. On a player's turn, they will use one of their three assistants to perform a variety of possible actions on the board. The worker placement game sees players using their meeples to perform actions such as buying and trading for materials for their carpets, such as wool, camel hair, plant dye and carmine dye, with players rolling dice to determine how much of each material they can get. Players will have to be careful to keep their assistance within their appropriate ranges to avoid losing out to an opponent. The materials players need for their carpets are also limited with the market changing every round. Players will need to plan ahead to ensure that they have the right materials they need to complete their commissions by the end of the round, otherwise they'll miss out on scoring prestige. Besides competing commissions, players can choose to gain new skills in order to tackle more complex commissions, have their assistants be able to move further and complete multiple commissions in one round. The winner of Tabriz is whomever has the most prestige after a player has either finished their ninth commission or has gained 14 skill points. Flynn, not only taking help and advice from multiple Iranian cultural consultants, did in fact live in Iran during the 1970s, so who are we to argue with cultural accuracies? Tabriz the Card Game by Randy Flynn and Crafty Games has also appeared on BGG, so we could see the two release at the same time when it heads to GameFound later this year. And we're heading on over to crowdfunding, and the next three games are all over on Kickstarter and looking for your support. First up is Beyond Humanity Astrominers by Three-Headed Monster. It's for 2-4 to four players, takes 45-90 to 90 minutes to complete, it's for ages 12 years and over, and it ends on Tuesday, July the 12th. Beyond Humanity Astrominers is a board game for 2-4 to four players, in which players manage competing groups of space miners extracting minerals from the asteroid belt. The challenge comes in planning how to manage your personnel and resources through a variety of missions to extract minerals and outmaneuver the competition. Build the wealth of your corporation and fuel financial and material success. Be careful not to be left behind, for the victor goes the spoils. According to the current scientific knowledge of potential space-binding missions, players extract seven resources. Water, xenon, plasteel, tungsten, nickel, palladium and gold on three different types of asteroids. S-type, C-type and M-type. The game uses a collection of custom six-sided dice, seven for each player, with icons representing four types of workers. Miners, automatons, geologists and inspectors. Workers' availability is determined by the dice rolls each round, with a skillful management of these worker dice is necessary for effective resource extraction. Players draw a mission cards to their hand and then perform the missions by placing the mission card on the mining barge in the dock, and gradually filling its fields with worker dice. Order cards are first drawn to the player hand by playing a dice with a geologist icon on the refinery field and then redeemed at the end of the round by paying the cost indicated on it to receive the victory points marked on the card. In addition, the game features a resource exchange, an achievement set collection and a set of executive cards providing more possible actions and ways to victory. 
orders, missions, achievements and gathered resources are the means to collect victory points. And as we mentioned before, the victor goes to the spoils. You can pledge at £74 or $89 for the collector's edition, which includes any relevant unlock stretch goals. £107 or $129 gets you the collector's edition, Mining Union's expansion, the 5 and 6 player expansion, and of course any unlock stretch goals. Next up is Drop Bears by Platypus Industries. It's for 1 to 4 players, it takes 30 to 40 minutes to complete. It's for 14 years and over and ends on Tuesday, July the 19th. You would think the Australian bush was as dangerous enough place at night as it is. As if spiders and snakes weren't enough, another horror is on the loose. Drop bears, or more accurately, zombie koalas, infest the dark. Hideous beasts dropping from gum trees, eager to consume human flesh. This is where the game drops you in. An inexperienced group of tourist campers ventured into the night with your only objective being to survive until dawn. Drop Bears is a cooperative game where the campers have to carefully choose actions every turn to stay alive, while the whole Australian bush is on the hunt for them. The group can choose of several different options each turn, such as explore and run, allowing the campers to place new map tiles and attempt to keep the lurking hunger beast at arm's length. You'll also need to rest and heal, which will give you a chance to patch up and recoup your most essential resources. And finally, searching will hopefully lead you to find much needed survival resources. All these tools will be needed to ensure as many campers as possible survive until dawn. While doing so, the game drops the hideous creatures right on them, attacking and terrorising the campers in every turn. Even the very landscape and environment will batter the poor campers. They can become severely wounded. This will surely hamper your chance for survival. Each time a camper is eaten, that player will select another camper from those available. But every death brings the drop bears closer to victory, so don't let your humans die in vain. With no weapons, campers must band together, scavenge gear, and use their wits if they ever hope to survive until dawn. And just one pledge level is for £45, and that gets you the Drop Bear Core Box. And lastly is Splintered Lands by Steve Holloway and Civil Dawn Games. It's a two-player game. It's going to take you an hour and a half. It's for 13 years and over, and ends on Thursday, July the 28th. Splintered Lands is a post-apocalypse themed expandable deck building game where players take on the role of an enclave governor who must lead their people in a fight for survival using a brand new base defence tactical deck building game mechanic. Somehow you have cobbled together a band of basic fighting men and women to help you survive in the inhospitable wasteland you call home. However, you've noticed another group of survivors competing for resources in your area. If you are going to survive for long, you are going to need to spend your ever-dwindling resources to convince new and capable people to join you in the constant struggle. But finding them can be just as difficult as convincing them to come back with you. Players take turns attacking their opponent, fortifying their enclave, and searching the dunes to acquire new and powerful characters to join their fight. Defeat your opponent by crippling their authority and do it quickly. Your opponent will only grow stronger the longer you let them live. Unfortunately, they know it too. Each player starts the game with an 11 card deck. Then players choose which factions they want to be represented. Combine their favourite three factions to create the six card dune decks. This is where you will find powerful allies to join your enclave. 
On their turn, players play cards, pick cards, and arrange navigate cards on their side. The game ends when one player has had their authority reduced to zero due to actions happening in the game. Along with the four starting factions, Splintered Lands has five expansions already planned out. Each expansion contains two new factions, plus exclusive bonus content. These unique boosters create ways to engage with the world of Splintered Lands, giving players optional new ways to defeat their opponents, new and interesting mechanics to discover, and unusual, aberrant creatures to defend with or against. Pledge at £29 or $35 for the base game, or £38 or $45 for the base game, Founders Pack and three neoprene mats. And we're heading on over to events. Tuesdays is Worthing Board Gamers down at Dice Worthing from 7pm. Just £3 cover charge. Location of the store is 24 to 26 Portland Road, Worthing, BN11 1QN. Also this Tuesday the 5th and in a fortnight's time on the 19th is Horsham Gamers Casual Gaming Event from 8 until 10.30. Location is Holbrook Tithe Barn, Pontail Road, Horsham RH12 5JF. Wednesdays has Crawley Gaming Community being hosted at the comic shop, 42 High Street, Crawley RH10 1BW, tending to gather from 6ish onwards until close and just £3 per evening. Also this Wednesday, the 6th also has board games at the barn being hosted by Anthony and Team Custard Kraken from 7pm through to 11pm and just £3 per person. Location is the barn at West Dean, Dean Vale, Brighton, BN1, 5ED. These run every two weeks with the next one being on Wednesday the 20th of July. Thursday sees three groups running in the form of Worthing Board Gamers down at the Ardington Hotel Steam Gardens, Worthing, BN11 3DZ from 7pm. Dave is hosting Lewis Board Game Club at the Trinity Gaming Cafe, Arbinger Place Lewis, BN7 2QA from 7pm through to 11pm. Dave is unfortunately moving to Pastures New in August, but ensures us the club will continue after his departure. We wish him the best of luck down there in Somerset. His last gaming night with the group will be on the 28th of July. Also, Jake and Chris would like to welcome you to Dyson Drinks, 79-81 Church Walk, Burgess Hill, RH15, 9BQ, for their Thursday evening social. Entries just £5 for the evening with refreshments available. And Crawley Gaming Club are always there for you on Mondays. They'll be up and running from 6pm over at the Tilgate Community Centre, Shackleton Road, Crawley, RH10, 5DF, and just £3 per person. So, Brian, how many did you find? 75? And counting, Horlicks. Let me have a look. Well, knock me down with a feather. Wow, yeah. Well, they are pretty much a bunch of euros then. Oh well, I stand corrected. Well, before you go and finish your lists, just say goodbye to everyone, will you? And it's a goodbye from me. Keep safe, meeples. Keep those dice rolling, the cards shuffling, and we'll be right here for you next week. Thank you very much for that, Paul, and thank you guys for joining us once again for another... 
game highlight episode a nice quick one for us today james because of this heat this studio under this studio light i am sweating so much it's yeah yeah just... it's um we need to wrap this up <laughs> we do we do indeed the, uh yeah it's, it's not nice at all i think we're even gonna forego playing games tonight because it's that hot it's just not worth it not worth playing the games unfortunately but we're told that rain is on the way james things are going to cool down we need a nice thunderstorm tonight we do indeed fingers fingers crossed indeed i know my missus won't enjoy that because she doesn't like thunderstorms but hey ho i absolutely love them i love thunderstorms Not when I'm recording, though. It becomes a real problem trying to take that kind of background noise out. So, yeah, we'll avoid that at all costs. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, guys, we are going to head off for this week and try and cool down a bit, probably have a bathe in ice cream. And, uh, yeah, we will see you next week for more tabletop gaming goodness. Till next week, my name has been Jason. And I'm James. And you've been listening to The Meeple Minded. Join us next week for more tabletop gaming goodness. Ta-ta. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs>